Welcome back to LA Prep Radio. I'm your host, Mia Rohde, and today I'm here with Ms. Ferenc, one of the science teachers here at Loyola Academy, to discuss environmental science, improvements that the school has made to be more green, and all things Earth. Hi, Ms. Ferenc. Thank you for sitting down with me today. Hi, Mia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So, you teach environmental science here at Loyola. What is the overall goal of the class? So there's two different classes. I teach the Ignatian Service Learning Honors Environmental class, and Mrs. Snyder teaches the AP Environmental class. Um, So the way I teach the class for Ignatian Service Learning is we focus on taking action to care for God's earth, um, and then students complete service hours. There's lots of different sites that they go to. They go to urban farms nearby. Uh, nature preserves, they go to the forest preserve, and then we even started a group here on campus that started to compost for service hours. Um, And then we also go and visit at the hill. Not a lot of people Mm -hmm. know that there's 16 acres of natural space with oak trees and prairies and the Chicago River even goes through it. We go there and do experiments, yeah. What are students' usual favorite service sites? Uh, I think they really like, it's called the Talking Farm in Skokie. It's right in downtown Skokie, and it's a an urban farm. So they sell local produce in the city. A lot of them really like the forest preserve. They go and they get to use loppers or saws and take down plants that are threatening the ecosystem. Cool. Mm-hmm. Why is education about the environment so important? So here at Loyola, we're supposed to be as Jesuits and as an Ignatian school, we're supposed to be shepherds for our earth. And we take a lot of resources, right? Even just you and me right now, our clothes, Mm -hmm. you know, our glasses, the food we're going to eat, the houses we live in, the heat, the gasoline that brought us here. um, We take a lot. And so we really need to shift to also tending for that and being sure that we're um, taking in in the right way. So you mentioned Loyola's values about caring for the earth. How has Loyola made its campus more eco-friendly over the years? So we have a long way to go, but um, we have made a lot of hopeful changes. I thought it was in, I wasn't here at the time, but I thought it was early like 2000s that the hill was purchased Mm -hmm. uh, where the sports facilities are. And during that time, 16 of those acres, it was determined by Loyola that that would be natural space. So at least every year I start, there's some kids that don't even know it's there. Um, So that's preserved space where we have native prairie of Illinois. We have nice trees. The Chicago River goes right through where we can do really interesting labs. Uh, And it was Paul Hayes that started that. He was a former teacher uh, in the science department. And then Miss Snyder has been really huge. She teaches AP Environmental. If you go to the hill, there's actually um, massive solar panels on the, if you use the bathrooms while you're at the sports facility, like at a soccer game or something like that, there's solar panels on there, which is really interesting. She wrote a big grant to get that. Um, Mrs. Nold used to run the Save Club. Miss Walchuk now runs that. So we do have um, some really nice established changes in addition to what we've been doing recently. Can you tell me about how, I don't know if you were here for this, but um, Loyola banning the plastic water, the disposable plastic water bottles and replacing them with the boxed water, I think a couple yes, years ago? Yes, that was a couple years ago. That was before me. Um, but I know that there was some research done in some of the environmental classes and then that switch was made. 
and then now when we do our projects, we've been really trying to focus on um, at least the projects that I've been doing last year and this year is getting proximate with people at the school and figuring out what people think about a change before doing it. So um, things like I think some some there was talk about straws being changed or talk about utensils being changed. So in my class, we really focus on how can we talk to the community. And I think a lot of kids um, maybe even received surveys last year Mm -hmm. when they were in the library or in a class or something. I definitely did. Mm -hmm. So uh, where's the room for improvement in Loyola turning more eco-friendly? Yeah. Um, So there's been a huge shift with the Jesuits. A bunch of Jesuit schools all met here at Loyola over the summer and the environment was actually a huge topic and how can all of these Jesuit schools show that they're living out caring for God's creation. So it's a big talking point right now. So for example, Miss Walchuk is in the process of forming a a sustainability committee here Mm -hmm. at, at school. So it would hopefully be a group of administrators, teachers, maintenance staff, even some students to be able to be making this a regular conversation. Um, We did start composting at school. Um, That's a thing that I think would grow hopefully and we could compost in the cafeteria. We could make it even larger than what it is right now. Uh, I think that we really need to think about our single use Uh, here at Loyola Mm -hmm. and really get a game plan of how we could recycle better, compost, use less single-use plastic, use our electricity more efficiently. We've all experienced going into different rooms and the temperatures are not Mm -hmm. all the same. We're just draining energy that way. Um, And I really hope that not only kids in this class or some other classes, like I know there's some religion classes that really focus on these topics too, but I would hope that every kid every year is feeling they're learning about something about how to care for God's creation. So Loyola recycles on Fridays, but do you know where the contents of the recycling bins actually go? Are they recycled or do they end up in landfills like 79% of recycling? Yeah, so all of the United States is realizing that this is an issue because a lot of people know at this point that China announced that they no longer want to import waste Mm -hmm. such as paper, plastic, and other scraps. And so as a result, either people in America have had to start to recycle domestically, or they create a new relationship with a different Mm -hmm. country, or it goes in the garbage. And so I don't have an answer to that. I actually have a group of students, because every every kid does a big project for this for uh ignatian service learning uh environmental and so one of the student groups has already figured out the company that we send our recycling to and their project is going to be investigating well how how have they shifted as a result of that china um change in not importing waste So you mentioned domestic recycling. What does that exactly entail? That would just mean that there is a recycling facility that is finding a way to take, let's say it's pop bottles and turn them into something like a bench or 
you know, shoes. One of my students just the other day said he his backpack was made of 100% recycled bottles. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so changing gears, what is global warming and how do we know it's a real thing? So if you look at scientific data, since the Industrial Revolution, which is in the, you know, early mm-hmm. 1900s, the global surface temperature has increased faster than any other time that we've seen evidence for in Earth's history. And you can look at, like, there's little bubbles in icebergs, and you can go down real deep and see what was the concentration of oxygen and carbon dioxide and all these other things. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to investigate what the surface of the Earth was like at different times. And right now, it's increasing. The rate at which it's increasing is very dramatic compared to these cycles in the past. So that leads scientists to think that there's something causing this like amplification or change. And so the other thing that's been happening since the industrial revolution is we've been emitting a lot of CO2 Mm -hmm. and we've been eating more meat. And so both of those things, CO2, are here. This was my question for you. (laughs) Do you know what a greenhouse is? In what context? What is it? What I know of a greenhouse is just a warm house where you grow plants. Yes. Okay. Okay. And what is the, like, the roof or the casing that it's Mm -hmm. in, why is it that, you know, tropical plants or fruits and veggies can grow in there if it's even, like, January outside? Because doesn't it keep the warm air in or it at least, like, uses the sunlight to warm the air inside, but it keeps the cold air out? Yeah. So, so on our planet, sun comes in to our atmosphere and a, a greenhouse, what it does is it, it kind of like traps it in there. So when the sun warms the greenhouse, that material kind of keeps that heat mm-hmm. in there. And so when you go into a greenhouse, like if I've been to, um, I remember I went to the the little garden at the Lincoln Park Zoo. They have a little mm-hmm. greenhouse there, and I, it's winter time. I went to see the zoo lights. All of a sudden, I go in, I'm like taking off my coat, and I'm sweating, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it works, right? Um, and so the way, if you think of the earth, sun comes into the atmosphere, and then a lot of it kind of goes back out into outer space. So it okay. warms us, but a lot of it kind of escapes mm-hmm. back out. So when you have, just like a greenhouse, like you have that, that structure, that, um, that building that lets light in, but then also keeps in the heat, what happens is things like CO2 trap heat. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of CO2 or excess CO2 in the atmosphere, there's going to be less heat escaping back out into outer space. So we want the sun heat to come in to warm our planet, but we also want it to escape back out to a certain degree so that we have this stability. And so methane is another one. When cows burp, they release methane gas. And the amount of cows that we have on our planet is massive for all of the beef that people consume, Mm -hmm. all the dairy that people consume, and that also does the same thing. When the sun comes in, there's like this cloud of CO2 and methane and it doesn't go out and escape into this outer space as easily. So essentially we're indirectly building a greenhouse around the earth. Yeah. 
So we already have one in the atmosphere, but we're amplifying it to really block out. It's doing it even more. Mm -hmm. So if global warming is a real thing, and it seems we have quite a few options to start um, making the Earth a more habitable place and to lower the effects of global warming, why do you think people are so reluctant to make lifestyle changes that would positively affect the environment? So I think that there are routines in our society, and a lot of those are from big corporations and companies. So you go to a restaurant, there's a straw in your cup, or there's plastic silverware on the table. Um, you buy your clothes. You don't necessarily, like, do you know where your polo came from? Is it domestic? Did it, you know, the factory that built it, what were their practices? You don't really, a lot of the times, yeah. know that. And so a lot of these things are just embedded in society, and we're perpetuating them without even realizing mm -hmm. it. So I think first we need to become aware, um, which the class that I teach, I hope, serves mm -hmm. to do that. And then the second is we also need to find ways to go against the grain so that companies start to see this desire. I tell my students, your dollar is like voting. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you buy a polo that came from a factory that um, is not using clean energy, emits burns a bunch of coal, emits a bunch of CO2, you're, you're, you're unknowingly voting for that factory to keep staying open, to keep working. When you start voting differently and you buy sustainable products and you buy food grown sustainably, you start voting differently. Um, but it's something that you don't know until mm -hmm. you know, right? So yeah. first you need to know about it. And then the second is you need to be okay with you know, you need to want to make some mm -hmm. of these changes because that that's it's grassroots. The change needs to happen with what people want, and then all these companies will start changing. But it's tough because yeah. we need to educate people, and we need to get people to start w desiring different mm -hmm. things. And then our last question, the one that's on everyone's minds, is the Save the Turtles movement and widespread transition away from plastic straws actually impacting the environment in a drastic way? So the turtle and the straw I think are very symbolic just to the effects of single-use plastic mm -hmm. and single-use items and so I think the visual is always really shocking so the mm -hmm. video that a lot of people have seen of of animals being hurt uh, with like indirectly by our plastic going into the oceans is a really big concept because on a daily basis there's so many items that we use just once that are then contributing to this problem. And so um, something that my students are go going to be doing for projects and something I actually did uh, last summer with uh, Miss Yarnella, she's another mm -hmm. science teacher, um, was there's something called Plastic Free July. Have you ever heard of that? No. So it's an initiative started from Australia and every July for the past couple of years, you can go onto this site and you can make like a commitment to not use single-use plastic for a month. And so what me and Miss Yarnella did is we made um, a challenge. And so we were, we basically like competed for the month of mm -hmm. July of who could use the least amount of single-use plastic and then we weighed it at the end of the month. Okay. Um, 
and it's actually gaining a lot of traction. So 230 people. Oh, my gosh. No, 230 million people. Oh, my gosh. 230 million people across the world did that last summer. Mm -hmm. The previous year, I think 120 million people did Mm -hmm. it. So, um, yeah, I I think that's what the turtle represents, Mm -hmm. is just realizing there's this scary faucet of single-use plastic entering the oceans, and we just need to shift it. And and we found that it really wasn't that hard to make these – these shifts or it was uncomfortable at first but then really it didn't make that much of a difference well thank you so much for taking time out of your day to sit down with me here today to talk about the environment and just thank you for your words of wisdom and advice on what we can do to better the planet yeah thank you for bringing this to light and sharing this in the way that you are thank you thanks for listening to la prep radio this week's episode was written and hosted by mia Rodi and produced by Casey Lyons and the Loyola Academy Fine Arts Department. Check back with us next time for more interviews and specials. Want more Loyola news? Check out the Preps website at www.laprep.net.